All right. Morning, everyone. So welcome back to the podcast. Um, today's topic is going to be difficult coaching conversations. Okay. All right. Now let's kind of frame what it is I'm talking about. Um, probably the most difficult conversation tends to be around discrepancies in reported data for fat loss clients, specifically how much they're eating. That's this, that's the topic. Okay. Now that could be just to give you some examples, that could be um, somebody reporting they're eating a certain number of calories, and it just not adding up with the data I have. It could be someone reporting they're eating according to a meal plan, and that not adding up. And there are ways that I can tell, I can tell pretty quickly. That's what I'm talking about. Now, nine times out of 10, this conversation will be very easily rectified. The person will go, ah, yes, didn't realize that. In fact, I had an amusing example of that um, last week with one of my long-term clients. It was, it was hilarious, actually. So he'd, he'd been reporting he was eating something like 1,200 calories, and he just wasn't losing any weight. So at some point, I just turned around and said, look, this is clearly, I tried a few things. I tried to sort of apply some subtle hints and he wasn't really taking the hints. So I turn around and go, look, this is just a physical impossibility. What's going on? Because I'm not, I'm not uncaring when it comes to these situations. I, I do try and approach it gently first. And if that doesn't work, then I need to be a bit more direct. And so he took it and he went away. I didn't hear back from him for another few days. <laughs> and he came back to me. And it was the funniest story because he'd realized, he'd realized what he had been doing was he'd been snacking at work. But in a very specific way. So he said he sits, he normally sits at work uh, in the same kind of big hall room as his boss. So his boss was this, um, was this lady who, when she would get stressed, she would snack. <laughs> and because she would snack, she would also just absentmindedly leave a snack on his desk. And he would absentmindedly pick it up and start snacking on it while he was working. <laughs> And so <laughs> he realized that and he came back to me and he goes, Faz, I can't believe it. That beep, beep, beep has been sabotaging my diet. <laughs> so he said, he said what he's been doing is every time she puts a snack down on his table, he's been picking it up and putting it, he's going back home and putting it on his kitchen counter. And so... <laughs> Over the course of a week, he's got all these snacks now on his kitchen counter, which are all a reminder of how much food she was feeding him when she when she got stressed, which is a hilarious account and it's just amazing. I thought it was so funny. It's brilliant. So that is an example of when it goes well. And uh, as I say, nine times out of ten, it goes well. Sometimes the result isn't as emphatic as that. So sometimes it's just miscalculating. So I had a client once. Um, going back a few years now, this this lady was um, she liked her uh, her fats in her diet. So she liked avocados for like Mexican style food. She liked um, peanut butter, and so um, typical to to most fairly inactive females, she didn't have a very large metabolism. She had never really weight trained in her life. Um, she was relatively sedentary. You know, she was a she was sort of like a managing staff nurse. So while she, nurses are generally quite active, she was more of the office type who managed other staff, managed the ward. So she didn't do a great deal of walking. She wasn't that active. And 
as a result, um, her caloric intake was relatively low. So she, but she liked her peanut butter. And so I said, you know, are you tracking everything? Because she was reporting she was eating 1200 calories. And she, she was like, yeah, yeah, I'm tracking everything. I'm tracking everything. I'm not losing any weight. And I was like, oh, this is strange. So I said, look, I want you to go back and I want you to measure absolutely everything. And she said, okay, fine. And so we went back and forth on this for a little while. And it got down to the point where I had to say, look, you need to measure out your peanut butter. And she says, what are you talking about? I just use the spoonful, like it says on the back. So I says, look, you might want to measure that out. So she sent me a series of pictures where she'd measured out peanut butter. And the 200 calories of peanut butter she thought she was eating, because she thought she was having a portion, which was a spoonful of peanut butter, was actually, wait for this, 800 calories of peanut butter. Now, you might sit there in disbelief, but just go on to, while this is playing, just go onto your Google tab, go onto your phone, just go onto Google, while this is, keep this playing in the background, I'll wait for you to do it, and just look up what 800 calories worth of peanut butter looks like. It's not that much. Now, spreading that on two slices of toast, it's very, very easy to do. Um, so she discovered that. <laughs> And she discovered she was basically adding an extra 600 calories to a day on an ad hoc basis on a food which isn't really even that filling. So she was basically eating about 1,800 calories rather than 1,200 she was reporting. I suspect there was probably other discrepancies there as well. But that was enough to turn the tide and she started to lose weight again. But it, it, it highlights the point that unless we're measure, measuring things out accurately, it's difficult to do. And on a, a little tip for you guys and girls out there, the easy way to measure out peanut butter is not to uh, weigh out the spoonful, but actually is to weigh the jar, then take out some peanut butter and continue to weigh the jar. Don't weigh the peanut butter, you take out, weigh the jar. Trust me, boys and girls, it's a much easier way to do it. <laughs> Just a bit of a, a tip for you there. <laughs> so anyway, that was another example where it turned out okay and it went well. Now, one case out of, I say 10, but it's probably more like one case out of a 30. It doesn't go well. Now, in and this is really the topic of the day, which is difficult conversations. This is usually because the client has already decided to lie, for want of a better term. And I say I say lie, and I don't say that lightly because I love my clients. They allow me to do what I do. But in one case out of 30 to 50 or whatever, they do lie. And the fact is you can't help them because they've already committed to the lie at that stage. So they've already decided what they're going to do. And I don't mean to sound defeatist about it, but pretty much every time I've come up against that, despite you know approaching it as gently as possible and they continue to commit to the lie, it's never worked out. And that's a damn shame. But on the other side, on the other hand, I can successfully say that's only ever happened twice over the span of six years. So yeah, maybe more like maybe not one in thirty, maybe more like one in whatever. But it, it happens very, very infrequently. So yeah, as I say, only ever happened twice in about five or six years of coaching. But in those times, because the person is committed to the lie. Um, it never really has a chance to resolve because as gently as you try and approach it, they stick to the lie. If you try and um, go in firm, they stick to the lie. So it makes you wonder why. 
But you know what? We're going to come back to the why part, and we're firstly going to just talk about just how I know. And I've already covered some of the ways of how it's very easy for your coach to tell if you're if you're making up porkies. Firstly, most of them still track body weight, and that's really the big tell. So at a minimum, I have my clients track at least body weight in the morning, just so we can get a weekly average so we know what's going on. Because that gives you an indicator, even if you don't get the macros and calories, even if they're on a meal plan, it gives you an indicator of what's going on. So if a client, let's say, in this circumstance, is eating, has been eating a reported low amount of calories, whatever that low amount is, and their body weight is relatively high, then it's not, and it's not budging, then we know something is going on. Now, as much as a client would like to believe and would like you to believe, they are not a genetic abnormality. So you can fairly safely assume there's some kind of discrepancy. Now, if you tighten up the diet and they continue to reportedly drop their caloric intake, but their body weight remains the same, then that's a definite tell. Because I think in these circumstances, because these people have a kind of a victim complex, they're like, look, I'm on this low amount of calories. You put me on, coach. I'm not losing any weight. But in reality, they're not. They're eating a lot more. Then you drop their calories in further and the, the victim complex kicks in again. And that's their tell. That's how I know. <laughs> that's how I get them. <laughs> because if you drop someone's calories by, say, 300, and they report they're eating 300 calories less, but their body weight doesn't budge, you've got them. That's, it's, it's one of those Columbo moments for you older listeners. Do you remember that TV show, Columbo? It's one of those moments when everything just goes silent and you know. And if that continues to happen over the course of a couple of weeks, perhaps a couple of adjustments, you know full well they were never sticking to the original number, just like they're not sticking to the new number. And you can tell you've got them. Because there's no physical explanation for that. In all my years of coaching, and all my years of training, there's never been an explanation for that. And you can point to transient water intakes, you know, water fluctuations. But even that doesn't last for a couple of weeks. You could point to muscle gain. People try and, I've had these, you know, reasons thrown at me before as well. Perhaps I'm gaining muscle and I'm losing fat. And they might even convince themselves, yeah, I'm feeling better. My clothes fit better. Everything's great. I must just be gaining muscle rapidly. So they think they've gained 10 pounds of muscle and lost 10 pounds of fat over the space of a week. I mean, if that's true, then let me know your secrets. You'd be uh, you'd be a billionaire. Every every uh, bodybuilder out there would want to hire you. So that, that's how you can tell. Now, that's all well and good. But I think now the topic is why? Why? Because you might be sat there wondering, especially if you're new to the channel, perhaps you don't know me very well as a coach. You might be thinking, well, why? Faz, maybe this is just your coaching. What's what's going on? I think firstly, we have to address the fact that it's not a battle between the coach and the client. The coach is very much on your side. And I think that's ultimately where this all comes from. Because the reason that the, the client or the person, whoever in your life is, is lying and committed to the lie is because they, they're in a place of hurt, okay? So they're in a place of hurt. And when you're in a place of hurt, your defenses go up and everything seems like it's an attack. 
when you've got your back to the wall, well, it's in the phrase, why have you got your back to the wall? Because everything is an attack. You're guarding against attacks. And this is the sad truth of the fact that when I have broached this conversation with those two or three people over the course of five, six years, it doesn't go well because they're just stressed, their backs are against the wall. They're not going to listen to anyone, even the guy they're paying to drop their to drop their weight. It's such a weird paradigm because these people are monetarily involved. It's not like it's just Karen in accounts who's just asking you, hey dude, I can't lose fat while she's eating the Claire. These people are monetarily involved. They're pay, they pay you. So they pay you and what sometimes can be um, a good amount of money for them, which is possibly another reason why they're so stressed. And yet they, they still continue to lie because the lie affirms their victimhood. The lie affirms they have it wrong, they have it bad. The lie affirms what they're feeling. Now, I'm not suggesting victimhood isn't a thing. People are victims. But what I'm suggesting is people get addicted to that feeling. They get addicted to the feeling of, I'm the victim. I've got it diff more difficult than everyone else. I need to diet on 500 calories to lose weight. When I diet on calories that people would lose weight on, I gain weight. I'm the victim here. And that permeates from whatever stress they're feeling in their lives to every other aspect of their life. And them hiring you as a coach is only an extension of that. It's like, look, I paid money, money which I don't have, to hire this guy who's a competent coach. And even he couldn't fix me because I'm just broken. It's my body. It's my hormones. It's my sugar level. It's my insulin. It's my gender. It's my circumstance. It's my job. It's my boss. It's everything else but me. And that, honestly, is, I think, why it, these conversations become so difficult. And I can almost, at this stage, my spidey senses tingle whenever I begin to see a situation where this might unfold. And I get worried. I get worried because there's another side to this, ladies and gents. This is stressful for me. These are not easy conversations to have. Like if, you, if you've ever tried to have a conversation like this with someone where you know they're lying and the lie is affecting them, but you are involved, you have to be involved, and you're trying to get them to, to give you the truth for their own benefit. Have you ever been in a situation like that? And let's say it's not with kids, you know, because kids lie all the time. Well, some of them do. Let's say it's with an adult. Perhaps you've managed somebody at work like this. How difficult is that conversation? Yeah. It's stressful. Those types of clients tend to cause me more stress than any other, which is probably why the handful, the, the two or three, have been such a prominent thought in my training career for you know the entirety. It can be stressful. And I think this leads on to a potentially bigger issue and that is your stress begetting other people's stress so you're stressed about something you then react in a way which then causes stress for others and that cycle goes around and i think that's important 
because then you're this ball of stress with your back against the wall. You're this victim. You've exacerbated this victimhood of saying this everyone else's fault but mine. Look, I even paid this guy. He can't fix me. He's good. He knows what he's doing. Even he can't fix me. Everyone is against you. You're the victim here. And then you start to behave irrationally. That affects other people. It causes them stress, which then goes round and round and round. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. Now, now moving on. Um, had a bit of a distraction there. <laughs> now moving on to back to it. So yeah, I think it's a very difficult conversation to have for those reasons, because ultimately you're trying to look for a resolution which possibly isn't there. Um, and possibly the person isn't ready to receive at that time, which I think can be very difficult. So yeah, it's a big problem. Now, as I say, in these situations, I think the person probably needs a psychologist more than a coach. Even the most gifted coach, this is not their responsibility. And um, just to kind of talk through the very last time this happened was um, with a lady I was coaching a couple of years ago. Um, about my age, about my age, she had a, I won't, I won't mention the name, so we can just keep it fairly sort of anonymous. I don't mind sharing the story because I'll keep the names anonymous. But a lady who, um, from all, everything on the outset, seemed to be someone who had it together. She seemed to be very sort of like at peace with herself, meditated a lot, all that kind of stuff. But it all seemed to be a front for a lot of internal stresses that she had, which was a damn shame. Now, the particular events which led up to all of these, this sort of victimhood, was the estranged father of a child kind of came back into the scene and that seemed to cause a lot of stress. Um, and it, I think it kind of, for her, it kind of shattered the illusion of this perfect, peaceful, meditative lifestyle that she lived. The problem was, however, um, she expressed that frustration on me because I was the only other person in her life who would listen to her. I mean, I was paid to listen to her, but it's besides the point. I think when you get to, when you get a person who's that close to, even if you do pay them, then, well, people often tend to live out their stresses on people that are closest to them. We tend to hurt the ones which are closest to us. And I think she kind of saw that in me. So she ended up being quite rude on a number of occasions. Um, I'm always very um, open and sort of frank with these kind of stuff and forgiving. So I just, I let it go once or twice. I called her on it. She blew up, she got angry. And then at that stage, it was a case of, well, this relationship has to end. So um, I, I basically sacked her as a client. But it's a shame because it was the same thing. It was the whole victimhood thing. And I just, I'm, I, I got to say, I'm not clever enough. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not clever enough to understand how people get themselves into a situation where one lie begets another, begets another. And before you know it, whatever failure they're feeling and whatever victimization they're feeling has permeated every aspect of their life. And I, I think this happens over a course for a number of years and decades. This is not something I typically see in younger, early 20s, late teens people. It's something I normally start to see in people who 
you know, late twenties, early thirties, about that time, um, in my experience anyway. But uh, I mean, I'm sure people are out there who break that rule too. But uh, I don't want to really go into that too much because I don't feel like qualified to really talk about why people get to this stage. All I know is I get them at this stage and it's a problem. When I was a school teacher, um, I never really had too much of this. Um, children are, are fairly honest. Um, they, might, they might try and quickly lie to you, but if you call them on it, <laughs> you know, they, they just, they, they, they break pretty easily. Uh, they just start laughing about it. So, but I think adults, it takes a number of years for these things to be ingrained and adults really get themselves into a bind when that happens. And that's a big problem. I mean, you know, maybe you guys can help me out with that. Like, do you have any resources for how these people get into these situations? Or how do you pick them apart? Um, the gentle approach, the more direct approach, how does that actually work? Um, but yeah, I just wanted to sort of talk about that and and kind of, I guess, the take-home messages this is not really just to do with coaching. This, I guess this is to do with life in general. It's very, very difficult to see your own blind spots. Like it is, it's tough. And I, I'm sure there are, there are, I have blind spots too. I'm sure I do. Like none of us are perfect. But I guess I'm, I'm open to the possibility that I do, which I think is more important than it's more important, it's, it's, it's better, it's one step along from knowing your own weaknesses. And I mean, I know some of my weaknesses, but inherently a blind spot is a blind is, is, is a spot you don't know about. So, but I think, I think the first step is acknowledging that you probably do have some blind spots. Very few people are as centered and can say they don't. And I imagine the people who are sat there thinking, I don't have a blind spot. I imagine you guys are probably exactly the ones who do. The more well-adjusted people tend to be more open to the fact that they can be wrong about things or be hiding things. Um, that's my experience. So I guess my my advice from this podcast is to look, try and try hard to look at where your blind spots are. One of the reasons I ask for feedback um, for my business is that, again, I might have blind spots. In fact, um, there was a client recently who pointed something out to me um, and I asked him for feedback because he's quite used to giving me feedback. He gave me feedback before he was a client and he pointed something out to me which, um, be completely honest with you guys, it was a bit of a kick in the balls. <laughs> I, it did, it did pain me a little bit when he said it. Um, I mean, I was, I was obviously I was very gracious, and I, I thanked him for the advice. But then, I, when I went away and I really thought about it, I thought, God, he is freaking right, you know. And I think that's the healthy way to handle it. Like, it's okay to be a little bit like, you know downtrodden <laughs> when you first hear it and you go, oh crap I was expecting you to sing my praises <laughs> but but um you know ultimately he, he's saying these things from a good place he's saying these things from a place of trying to help because I, I asked him for help and he's gone out of his way to help and with most people they don't like confrontation he actually went out of his way and said actually Faz there is this thing which I think you could do better on and uh, I went away and I thought about it and he was absolutely right he was absolutely right and uh, I, I thanked him the week after because I said, this is like, people don't do that. People don't often do that. And it's those people you should listen to. So if my advice is anything is firstly, ask for feedback, you know, and I, I, you know, this could be for anything really. Um, try and find ways to get feedback. Just be aware your feedback that people deliver you, it may be influenced by their emotions and their hangups as well. So, but for a guy who's willing to give you feedback, open and honest feedback, which makes sense and clicks, well, 
those kind of people, I mean, you know, they're the kind of people you need to hold on to. They, they're the kind of, if they're friends in your friend circle, they are the kind of people who need to be friend. You need to be friends for life with. So, um, I think don't be afraid to have hard conversations. They can be very productive. They can open up a lot of insight. And I think particularly, um, if you're, if you're out there and you're thinking to yourself, Hmm, yeah, I don't, I don't think any of this applies to me. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I'm fine. Well, Again, it might be something you're running away from. So it might be worth having some of those hard conversations and really listening to what people are saying rather than dismissing them and, and, and acting like a victim. But um, yeah, hopefully yeah, that was uh, it resonated because I think it kind of transcended fitness and it's more about life and, and how we respond and how we actually, more furthermore, how we grow, which I think that's important. So um, yeah, I'm going to call it there, guys. I uh, will speak to you in the next one. Hope you have a great weekend.